Alright folks, today I'm going to read from the book Gods of Love and Ecstasy, The Traditions of Shiva and Dionysus. This is chapter 3, The Goddess, Power, Lover, and Mother. The Goddess. Shiva is the divisor of the world. In order to accomplish his plan, he, he requires an executive a material force or energy. Energy, which is called Shakti, is thus his first manifestation or complement the issue of himself. Cosmology, Sankhya, represents this power of materialization both as a cohesive or centripetal force allowing matter to be organized, which is called Vishnu, the immanent and as the female counterpart of the god. The goddess is the receptacle, or raw material, made of energetic elements, which is the indispensable support for all apparent manifestations. Without the creative energy represented by the goddess, Shiva is like a corpse, Shava, incapable of acting, of revealing himself, of accomplishing his ideation of the world. The representation of the prime cause of the world as being either masculine or feminine is purely a question of approach or viewpoint. Tantrism considers the female principle as the efficacious aspect, which is for man the divine reality. It follows that the goddess is the central object of the cult although occasionally she is re replaced by Vishnu Apollo. The manifestation of a world whose, whose nature is energy, is energy requires opposing poles. Substance, the material of the world, is the current which unites the poles. Huh. Matter is not stable, but is pure energy organized in space-time. In the primordial trinity, neither Shiva nor Shakti is the substance of the created. It is the spark which flies between them. Attraction, Raga, delight, Ananda, pleasure, Kama, and love. Three is the first of numbers. The echo of this concept is found in Hesiod who states, First there was the abyss, the formless, then the earth, matter, then love. A symbolic but precise image of the process of creation is the union of the sexes, perceived essentially as pleasure. Delight is the substance of the world and is what brings us nearer to the divine state. Reproduction and fecundity are only occasional accidents of the union of the sexes. The myths and symbols of sexual union should not be interpreted in terms of fecundity. The world is a spark of pleasure. It is not one of the principles which makes the other fertile. Aphrodite will never become the goddess of fertility par excellence. It is physical love, carnal union, which she inspires, exalts, and defends. Under the disguise of a frivolous divinity is hidden one of the deepest sources of religious experience.
the revelation of sexuality as transcend transcendency and mystery. In the most ancient Greek theogonies, the divine beings, whether male, neuter, or female, procreate by parthenogenesis. The union of god and goddess is sterile. Each procreates on his own, independently of the other. Shiva is represented in permanent coition with a goddess, lasting thousands of years, but he only gives birth to his son Skanda, when the coition is interrupted and the divine sperm falls into the mouth of the sacrificial fire. This almost reminds me of like when dogs are mating and they're basically stuck. <laughs> the goddess also procreates by herself independently of the god. Hera gave birth to the illustrious Hephaestus without the union of love, but out of anger and defiance hurled at her husband. The union of Zeus and Hera, the, the patrons of marriage, is infertile. Zeus is father of many children, but, but Hera is not their mother. Hmm, sounds like, sounds like a Christian, okay. <laughs> Hera likewise has children, but Zeus is not their father. In the Christian religion, we find the myth of the virgin who gives birth to the god without any male intervention. In pref the preference given to the cult of the goddess, Shaktism, is of extremely ancient origin and is not peculiar to India. It is connected with the living being's affective relations with his. It is connected with the living being's affective relations with his mother, the vagina or cavern from which he came. Wording, phrasing, Shaktiism reflects a mine of spirituality which offers visible visible analogies with the proto-historic Pelasgian and pre-Hellenic Mediterranean world. The Hindu black goddesses such as Kali and Durga, and the Paleo-Mediterranean goddesses Demeter, Melena. Sibylle, Sibylle, Diana of, of Ephesus and Taurus, and even including the Christian black Madonnas, all reflect a single prototype. Precisely in the substratum belonging to the Dravidian populations of India and in part to the layers and cycles of still more ancient civilizations, like those discovered by the excavations at Mohenjo-daro, Mohenjo-daro and Harappa. The cult of a great goddess or universal mother, Magna Mater, formed a central theme and assumed an importance completely ignored by the Aryo-Vedic tradition and its essentially virile and patriarchal tendencies. Alright, so the interesting thing with the whole patri the shift from the matriarchal to the patriarchal gods and stuff system or, or even hierarchy is apparently the patriarchal system is was when we shifted into agriculture, into city states. The moment you set up walls, you need fuckers to protect the, these walls because whatever is inside of these walls is of value so 
this is when the male gods basically took over with agriculture. Okay. Because the 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 uh, the city gods apparently is more uh, um, it's uh, it's about property so it's about lineage so it's about lineage means power wealth money property land so yeah it <laughs> men would want to hold on to this because. Who wants to uh, keep climbing up the ladder, <laughs> basically? But that's a different story. That's how you get all this generational wealth, which causes even more problems. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's, anyways. Okay. It was this cult which remaining underground during the period of Aryan Indo-European conquest and colonization emerged once more in Tantrism. The multiple aspects of the goddess. As the source of all aspects of manifestation, the goddess is one and many. Whatever aspect of the world we look at, we find that it is based on an energy or shakti, which is one of the aspects of the universal shakti. This is why the goddess has many names and many forms, which, from a ritual point of view, may appear as different or even contrary principles. Thus, she is virgin and mother, benevolent and terrible outside ourselves or present within us. We can perceive innumerable shaktis and at the same time their oneness. This is not peculiar to Shaivism. Shivaism. It's okay, so they spell that like... Anyways... The Greek goddesses are equally interchangeable. Interchangeable. A number of Celtic goddesses can be called divided functions of the mother goddess, such, such as, I'm assuming you say Maka or Macha, the fertility goddess, let's say such as Maka, the fertil fertility goddess in whose honor orgies were held, later a war goddess, Anu, whose paps are seen in the mountains in County Kerry, and Bridget, who became the Christian saint bride, goddess of abundance and marriage. So with, uh, let's say, the Christian saints, just, yeah, it's just the Catholics took over whatever pagan god or whatever it was, and then just just uh, applied saint in front of it and just changed the name. <laughs> Anyways, like all these cities in California. Saint. Okay. Uh, we always find a long prehistory for each aspect of the goddess. The name of Athena appears to be of pre-Greek origin. Her familiar association with the snake the olive and the owl is a feature common to the Minoan goddess, to the domestic snake cult, the tree cult, and the bird, epiphanies of Minoan religion. All these are apparently... Anyways. Sarasvati, like Athena, is the protectress of science and art. She is the inspirer of artisans and as such is worshipped by them. During the Sarasvati Puja... Festival of the Goddess, all tools and work instruments, books and musical instruments 
are placed on an altar and venerated as, simple, as symbols of her. In all rites, whose purpose is one of immediate effectiveness, the popular cult prefers to pray to the goddess, the mother, or lover. This is the tantric point of view. It is the feminine element present in all beings which ties us to the material world. It is the feminine element present in all beings which ties us to the material world. Yet, through this element, it is possible to unbind the fetters which tie us to the world. The, or the orgiastic rites of Tantrism and the exaltation of the Maenads call to mind the role of the female element in the Dionysiac or Shivite mysteries. It is through the goddess that the creative work is accomplished. She checks the god's imagination and his creative or destructive mania. She is the intercessor. It is she to whom man must pray. This role of intercession is to be found in all goddesses and even in the virgin in the virgin in the Christian world. The cult of a mother goddess appears to be prevalent in prehistoric religions. It yields gradually to the cult of the lover goddess with the expansion of Shivaism and Tantrism. The goddess is also revealed in masculine form. According to the Bhagavad Tattva, Vishnu, Krishna, Rama, Ganesha, and the sun are all manifestations of the female principle. This explains many of the aspects of their cults. The Lady of the Mountain. The principal name of the goddess is Parvati. She is the mount she of the mountain. Since the summits are considered as points through which terrestrial energy rises toward heaven. It is there that heaven and earth unite. The union of the heavenly vault likened to the Linga or Shiva with the terrestrial energy spurting from the mountain somehow binds the god to the world of living beings. According to Herodotus, the oracle of Dionysus is found on the highest mountains. The high mountains are the pleasant abode of the goddesses. This also, uh, I think, definitely you see the symbolism now of uh, shamanism. Okay. In, legend in legendary tradition, Parvati is the daughter of the king of the mountains, Himavat, the snowy, lord of the Himalayas. Let me read that again. In legendary tradition... Parvati is the daughter of the king of the mountains, Himabat, the snowy, lord of the Himalayas. Also, another interesting thing is people who are just nuts about climbing mountains. Yeah, they, they are basically doing, going, doing a shamanic journey. They just, they just don't know it. Anyways. At Sumer, the god Bel and the goddess Ninharsag. Okay, I see. So that's what that is. Except I'm not going to pronounce it like... <laughs> okay. It's probably Ninharsag. Ninharsag. That's probably how I said Not Ninharsag. Okay. At Sumer, 
the god Bel and the goddess Ninharsag, resided on the mountain of the east, and the goddess was the lady of the mountain. In the Greek and Cretan world, as in the Middle East, we also find the image of Parvati, whom Euripides Europe, calls the mother of the mountain. So this is this lady of the mountain is basically what the Himalayan Himalayan mountains, right? This is what Alexander. Okay. In Crete, Rhea is the goddess of the mountains. The names. Dictina and Artemis call to mind the idea, respectively, of a mountain mother and a huntress. This also makes me think of uh, Samson when... Uh, anyways, okay. Dictina is the goddess of the mountain, the guardian of the initiates. Her name is derived from Mount Dicta. I don't know how you say it. The name Dictanaeus... Naios... Was given to the mountains in the northwest of Crete in the area of Kidonia. The most ancient sanctuary in Dictina was called Titiros. According to Strabo, the Titiroi, the servants of the goddess and god, resemble the Corabantes. I don't know what that is. They correspond to the Ganas of Shiva and belonged to the cycle of Greco-Phrygian tradition connected with the cult of infant Zeus in Crete and the mother of the gods in Phrygia and in the region of Trojan Ida. Ida. So, infant Zeus makes me think of baby Jesus from... Uh, um, fuck is that movie with with Colin Farrell um anyways a seal from Knossos shows the lady of the mountain inclining her scepter towards an adoring male the goddess is preceded by a lion which is the vehicle of Parvati at Ephesus in a grotto of Sibylle the mother of the mountains, we see the goddess between two lines, with a young companion near her, who is the equivalent of Ganesha, the son and guardian of Parvati. The power of time. Through her relation with Shiva, the goddess permits the revelation of the divine Eros. However, she may appear as the matrix or mother from whom all things came forth and to whom everything will return at the end. This is how what Job said, nakedly have I come in the okay. Okay. In this case she is identified as Kali, the power of time or of death. In his terrible aspect, Shiva is like Kala, time. Huh, Kala is time, okay. Kali is power of time. I did not know Kala was time, okay. Shiva is like Kala, time. Who is the Greek Kronos? Oh my god. Dude, Kronos is fucking Saturn, dude. 
Kronos, time in the Greek is basically Saturn. Okay, Kali, the power of time or of death, is also called Durga, the inaccessible, representing the terrible aspect of the goddess. She appears dancing on a world in ruins with the attributes of Shiva the Destroyer, wearing a necklace of skulls and serpents. Surrounded by demons, she kills all who approach her. It is she who must be invoked to obtain a reprieve. Her cult, connected to Tantrism, is extremely widespread and is a very important branch of Shivaism, later taken up by Mahayana Buddhism. Eroticism and bloody sacrifices play a large role in the cult of the terrible goddess who is the principal divinity worshipped today in certain regions of India, especially in Bengal. The Irish Dagda, the great god of the early Irish mythological race known as the Tuatha de Danann, people of the goddess Dan, had intercourse with the sinister war raven goddess, the Morrigan, whose sexual lust was as powerful as her desire for blood and carnage. To her are offered the heads of enemy warriors killed in battle. The image of Kali with her skull necklaces is shown in erotic union with Shiva. Parallels of this, of this exist in Egypt. Carnage and cannibalism are characteristic traits of archaic goddesses. In the Ugaritic myth, Ugaritic is the Canaanite myth of the third millennium, Anat, in a homicidal rage, slew the guards, soldiers, and old men. This is basically, uh, you know, the crazy feminists who, this is what it is. It's just a. It's, it's the Kali archetype. Okay. The blood rose up to her knees. Like Kali, she is girded with the heads and hands of her victims. Death is a return to the mother's womb, to the earth from which we came. This also makes me think of the movie Teeth. Okay. Kali alone is invoked by her, by her faithful as mother, the, the protectress. From whom, from whom else can mercy be implored, if not from the all-powerfulness of time? And this is what I'm saying, guys. Um, I believe in Kali. Kali is the ultimate... Whatever you want to call it, concept, idea, goddess, whatever you want to call it. Which is holding this whole show together. She is the womb, which is the space anyways okay um next the white lady huh that's interesting because in the movie Lagan they call the white lady Gori I think right or, or, or no anyways Gori the white goddess is the benevolent aspect of the goddess Okay, I see. She's the like the nicer version of Kali, I guess. <laughs> okay. She is the pro- pro- she is the protectress and friend of men, a good fairy 
for the Greeks, the white lady, uh, Leocothea, 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 was the protectress of sailors. Ino threw herself into the sea with the dead child Melisertes. She is called Leocothea and the boy Palemon. At least that is how sailors call them when they come to their rescue during a storm. According to John Lydus, Leocothea takes the place of Proserpine as the mother of Dionysus. The cult of ancient Cretan Dionysus appears to have lasted a long time in the Greek islands, and the white lady of the sea had an important cult there. Sati. Sati, fidelity. In Egyptian mythology, Isis is the symbol of fidelity. Sati, fidelity, is the lover of Shiva, and her legend is distinct from that of Parvati, the lady of the mountains. Sati is the daughter of the Aryan priest-king Daksha. Her legend recalls the halt in the fusion of the Dravidian and Aryan pantheons, as well as one of the aspects of the female role, that of faithfulness to her husband, and the abandoning of all ties with her family and clan of origin. After the suicide of Sati, Shiva carries her body on his shoulder, letting pieces fall in different parts of the earth. In the Osiris myth, it is Isis who gathers the various parts of the god's body and buries them in different spots, which then become holy places. Alright, this is interesting because just today I was thinking about Braveheart, and in the end, they they tell you that his body, um, William Wallace, his body was ripped apart and and placed all over different parts of the country as a reminder to whoever um, that that this would happen to you also if if you rebelled. And guess what? They said, fuck you. So it's interesting that these, um, if anything, I would say Braveheart, the, the character... William Wallace is probably the closest thing to a shaman, leader, king, whatever you want to call it, warrior, you know, um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, interesting. Okay. In the myth of the Canaanites, who were, who were bull worshippers, the son of Baal Alian, the equivalent of Pashupati, the god of springs and forests, marries his sister Anat. When Alian dies, Anat goes to find him in the land of the dead, carries him back on her shoulder, and buries him on the top of Mount Saphon. Saphon. The mistress of the animals. Okay, so just like there's a lord of the animals, which is Bashup. Okay, so Parvati, the lady of the mountain, appears as mistress of the animals. She is the counterpart of Bashupati, who is the master of the animals. For the whole of Mediterranean prehistory, including Minoan Crete, the original lady of the mountains, Artemis, is the mistress of wild beasts. 
you know, Beauty and the Beast, this is what this is talking about. She is the mistress of wild beasts. Artemis is the patron of hunters, wild beasts, and girls. It is she who rules over the sacredness of wildlife. As a forest goddess, the as a forest goddess, she is not a stranger to sexuality and childbirth, but rejects the the social ties of marriage. In Cretan religion, female divinities, who are therefore by nature earthly and secret, had a predominant role. Amongst these, the best known through various monuments is a mistress goddess of ferocious animals, Patnia Theron, depicted in the act of slaying or subjugating wild beasts or else armed for the hunt. She corresponds to the ancient pre-Celtic mother of the animals, whose image is found in the cave at Pecmeril in the southwest of France. Alright, so this is interesting because, like, apparently a lot of shamans um, are, 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 are female, are women. Especially in Korea, there's, there's a lot of shamans are, are, are women. And it's, I mean, like, I think it's interesting. Just just watch videos of those, like, you know, Scandinavian or whatever women singing to the animals and they come running to her and listen. It's, it's I don't know, there's something to it. The hills are alive with the sound of music, <laughs> you know. There's something with, okay. Um... Fergus, the Celtic great god, has for his mate Phlidaeus, Phlidaeus, goddess of the woodlands and wild things. She was mistress of the animals, a Celtic equivalent of the classical Diana, descended from and successor to the Paleolithic prototypes. Aphrodite, a goddess thought to have an oriental origin, was born from the seed of Uranus's sexual organs flung into the sea. This myth runs parallel to the one concerning the castration of Shiva. She is also the mistress of wild beasts like Parvati and Artemis. She sows desire amongst beasts, men, and gods. The goddess is represented in a rich variety of associations with animals, birds, and snakes, with the Batilic pillar and the sacred tree with the poppy and the lily with the sword and the double axe. She is a huntress and goddess of sports. She is armed and she presides over ritual dances. She has dominion over mountain, earth, sky and sea, over life and death. Mother and maid, she is both one and many. The Marriage of Shiva and Parvati When the sages wished to persuade the vagabond god to take a wife, Shiva replied, The only woman The only woman I can accept must be beautiful. She must practice yoga and be able to withstand the ardor of my sperm. 
Mm. <coughs> what the fuck <coughs> is ardor? She must be a yogi when I practice yoga and 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 an amorous woman when I practice love. There is another condition. If she has not complete confidence in me and in my words, I shall abandon her. Hmm, I'm gonna take a picture of this because this is this is great. <laughs> All right, Shiva who is benevolent to his faithful, likes amusing himself with magic. So as to approach Mena, the wife of the king of the mountains, he took the form of a dancer. He held a horn in his right hand and a drum in his left. Sound like a shaman? He wore a red garment with a bag on his back. He danced marvelously and sang in a very gentle voice. He blew his horn and beat the melodious sounding drum. It was a marvelous spectacle. It's basically like, you know the the BBC stuff about the animals and birds and shit? It's like when the male birds are dancing and, you know, all this shit to put the female bird in trance to see if it's like... That's... Anyways... All the inhabitants of the place, men, women, and children, gathered to see him. They were in ecstasy. Parvati, the daughter of the king of the mountains, saw the harmonious form of Shiva, who carries the trident and other attributes. What is this trident? I'm gonna... Okay, anyways. His body was smeared with ash. A necklace of skulls was around his neck. Okay, I guess trident is like... Anyways, a necklace of skulls was around his neck, his face was smiling, his three eyes shone. Okay, <laughs> what? A snake served him for a sacred ribbon of dazzling whiteness, the beautiful Shiva, a friend of the humble ocean of goodness, repeated, Make your wish. She bowed before him and said, Be my husband. <laughs> he granted her wish and continued his, his dance. Mena wanted to offer him jewels and gold, but the dancer refused any present. He asked for the hand of Parvati and continued dancing and singing. Mena was outraged and wanted to have him thrown out by her servants. But there was nothing which could push him out. He was burning to the touch like the hottest fire. He illuminated everything around him. The beggar finally disappeared. The head of the Brahmins addressed the king of the mountains. I heard that you wish to give Shiva your daughter for a wife. She is tender as a lotus flower, divinely beautiful, and accomplished in all things. But this Shiva has no home and no kin. He is ill-made with no merits. He inhabits cremation grounds. He looks like a snake charmer. He is only a naked yogi. His limbs are mishappen, misshapen. Sorry. This is like the story of Tarzan, basically. <laughs> his only ornaments are snakes. The name of his family, his caste, and his origins are unknown to us. Alright, so apparently snakes are dreadlocks. 
He is badly behave. He is a badly behaved boy with no profession. Spartans, what is your profession? Okay, his body is smeared with ashes. He is irascible and has no judgment. No one knows his age. He is un. His unkempt hair is wild. Talking about Samson here? What? He is the companion of all kinds of worthless people. Talking about Jesus? What? He is nothing but a beggar of evil disposition and systematically opposes the commandments of the Vedas. The Vedas! Oh my god! The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious cocksuckers. <laughs> okay. The Vedas are basically the Aryan religion this, the, of force upon the Indians. Anyways. Urged by his wife and sons, the king of the mountains had a letter of betrothal written by his scribe and sent messengers with gifts to take it to Sheba. When they reached Kailasa, so that's, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the lake in India, up in the mountains okay the god's paradise they gave him the message and placed the sacred mark on his forehead shiva treated them with honor and they returned home enchanted the king of the mountains then sent out invitations and began to gather provisions and all that was necessary for the celebration does this sound like the last supper or i mean the um the story of the you know, in, in the Lord's Supper, when he sets up a feast and calls all his friends, but everyone gives excuses. Vast quantities of rice, sugar, and salt were piled up. Tanks were built for the milk, oil, curds, barley cakes, and sweet meats. Others for wine, cane juice, pastries, and other sweets. As also for butter, intoxicating drinks, fruit juices, and many other products. Spiced dishes and other appetizers were prepared to please Shiva's ganas. Handsome robes were prepared, purified by fire, as well as jewels, precious stones, and gold and silver objects. The rites began on an auspicious day. The mountain women carried out Parvati's purification ceremonies. All the mountains came for the feast. The Mandara Mountains and the mountains of the east and west, the Malaya, Dardura, Vishada, Gandhamadana, Karvira, Mahendra, Pariyatra, Krancha, Purushottama, Nila, Vidya, Kalanjara and Kailasa mountains, as well as all the mountains of the other continents who gathered in the dwelling of the Himavat, the snowy mountain. You know what this is? Mountains are elevation. Elevation produces snow. Snow melts and it produces fresh water. All mountain peaks are sources of fresh water. Huh. All the rivers also assembled, covered with jewels, the Godavari, Yamuna, 
Brahmastri, Vanika, Ganges, and Narmada were seen arriving. This, the whole town was in a festive mood. Banners, flags, and garlands glittered everywhere. This also kind of reminds me of um, Lord, of the, Lord of the Rings. That's what I'm saying. Mythology, the subconscious, dreams, it, stories, movies. It's all speaking in images and... Okay. And then an immense splendidly furnished hall was built by Vishvakarma, the architect of the gods. Doesn't this sound like fucking the Vikings and the and and the Great Hall and Valhalla and all this shit? It's this it's the same bullshit. We're all saying the same fucking story. Okay. Lions, storks, and peacocks were sculpted in a most realistic manner. There were also artificial women who danced and dummy men who ogled them. Some superb guards, their bows stretched, were so lifelike as to be mistaken for real men, elephants, chariots, and soldiers, so natural as to appear alive. Alright, this shit right here makes me think of psychedelics. Because I'm telling you, you do some shrooms and go out in nature, you will see the archetypes, you will see the gods. Okay. The goddess's statue was facing the entrance. Let me say that again. The goddess's statue was facing the entrance. She appeared to rise from an ocean of milk. A splendid apartment was prepared for Shiva. When he received the letter of invitation, Shiva burst into laughter. He had it read aloud and accepted the proposal. He said, I am always at the service of my admirers. By her devotion, Parvati has obtained the favor of having me for a husband. In seven days, the wedding will take place. This sounds like fucking the, st the story of Samson and his wedding. Shiva called his bull and all his ganas to accompany him, and also the horde of evil spirits, Bhutas. They set off for the land of the snowy mountains for the marriage feast. This sounds like shamanism, man. Come on. Okay. The terrible Chandi, Shiva's sister, also came, sowing terror everywhere. She rode on a phantom and was covered with snakes. So she rode on a phantom was covered with snakes so even in the shaman's outfit they have tassels and and and, and ribbons and those are supposed to um, symbolize snakes <laughs> she rode on a phantom and was covered with snakes she wore a golden urn on her head thousands of gnomes accompanied her the sound of drums was deafening drowning everything that was not of good omen yeah, these are not shamans at all. The king of the mountains, accompanied by all the mountains, came to bow down in front of Shiva, who was drawing near. Shiva was smiling, seated on his bull and covered with jewels. His beauty lit the four corners of space. His crown was resplendent. The snakes were transformed into precious garlands. A divine light emanated from his body. 
He was surrounded by gods fanning him and carrying fly swats. He was received by the king of the mountains with great honor and much ceremony. Mena, the wife of the king of the mountains, then demanded to see Shiva under his usual aspect, which destroys pride and vanity. From her balcony, she saw the arrival of the procession of the Gandharvas, the musicians of heaven, magnificently dressed, mounted in their chariots, playing various musical instruments, and accompanied by nymphs. Doesn't this sound like the entrance of Aladdin, Prince Aladdin, in, uh, you know? Or even the little thing from uh, Beauty and the Beast, the main dude in town when he started singing and dancing. <laughs> All right. When she saw the chief of the gods of the spheres, Vasu, arrive, she exclaimed, There is Shiva. But she was told, No, it is only one of his ministers. In the same way, seeing each new arrival, each more splendid than the last, Mena would cry, There is Shiva! And she had to be told, No, it is only an attendant. She was dazzled. When Shiva appeared, seated on his bull, covered with ashes, his hair wild, a crescent moon on his forehead, hmm, a skull in his hand, a tiger skin over his shoulder, carrying a bow and, tr and a trident, with his strange eyes, dirty and unkempt, surrounded by his vagabonds, devils and ghosts with terrifying forms, Mena, a Mena, terror-struck, terror-struck, fainted. Yeah. When she revived, <coughs> her fury knew no bounds. Remember that line, hell hath no, ha hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Alright. What shall I do? I am dishonored. You have deceived me. A curse on my daughter who wishes to exchange a jewel for a piece of glass who prefers a jackal to a lion. May you all be accursed. Curse the day when I was conceived. No, no. Curse, curse the day when I conceived that child. You have all plotted against me. Never shall my daughter marry that creature. I would rather kill her. She ordered Himavat, seize your daughter, bind her, cast her into an abyss or into the depths of the sea. If you give your daughter to that creature, I will kill myself. I should prefer to poison my daughter, cut her into pieces, or drown her in the sea rather than give her to Shiva. Sound like Romeo and Juliet. Okay. We have all been made to look ridiculous. This person has neither father, mother, brother, nor kin. 
he has neither beauty nor profession, nor even a house belonging to him, no clothes nor jewels. He is neither rich nor young. He is filthy, ignorant, disgusting. What reason could I have to give him my daughter? Reprimanded by the gods, Mina became calmer. If he appears in a pleasing form, my daughter may be given to him. Otherwise, not. Shiva then showed himself to Mina in his most charming aspect. Each part of his body shone with light. His garments were of many colors. He wore precious jewels. His skin was clear and shiny. The crescent moon added even more to his beauty. Mena was dazzled and asked pardon for the insults she had cast on the, onto the god. All the women left their occupations and hurried to see him, some half-dressed, others snatching their baby from their breast or leaving their husband at the table without serving him. The men, like the women, were charmed by the god's beauty and congratulated Mena. She then went down to meet her daughter's betrothed. After the rites of the bath, the king of the mountains and Mena decorated Parvati with the ornaments brought by Shiva. He himself performed the ceremonial, the ceremonial abulations and put on his splendid garments. Alright, so this story is like so much more interesting than the story we were given in, in, in Samson. It was like just four chapters, like... Like half the shit's all missing, and and guess where I where I find it? Fucking oh my god. Okay. A great feast was held. Conches were blown. They beat drums such as the pataha kettle drums and anaka double drum. Marine shells gomuka were played. They sang songs of good omen to accompany the dancers. See, it seems like every fucking one of us, meaning every one of our fucking traditions and, 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 and ancestors and all this shit, seems, we all seem to have, the sim have similar customs. Like, <laughs> for some reason, all our stories and subconscious shit, art, and like, everything coming from our subconscious, let's say, for the modern fucking man, is all coming from the same place. That's why our symbols all <laughs> are similar. It's just... Okay. A priest began to perform the rites in an enclosure where an altar had been built. Parvati was seated on a raised platform. Grains of rice were thrown over the couple. The priest, according to the rules and in order to perform the rites, asked Shiva... Tell us now your genealogy, your caste, your family, your Vedic ancestors, and the Vedas which you can recite. You see what I'm saying? It's always the ego. This is about the ego. The ego asking, what's your past, huh, buddy? <laughs> Who are you? Where do you come from? What's your name? What's your, what's your history? What's your story? This is the ego. Okay. There was a moment of embarrassment. Shiva turned his, uh, his head aside. The sage Narada began to play the Veena. He said, Shiva is the supreme being. 
He has no ancestors, nor family. His only family is the divine word. He is the primordial sound, nada. Does it sound like Jesus? Mm. The king of the mountains himself then spoke the ritual words. I give you my daughter as wife. Deign to accept her. And he placed Parvati's hand in Shiva's. He then offered a dowry of jewels and precious vases, a hundred thousand cows, one hundred harnessed horses, a hundred thousand tender young servants, chariots, and elephants. Parvati, the daughter of the mountains, was so beautiful that the, that the god Brahma, looking only at her toenails, was struck by Eros. Yeah, this is Zeus. He said, Troubled by Eros, I looked frequently at her limbs, and immediately my sperm flowed to the ground. Mm. <laughs> I am an old man, and felt ashamed of this emission of seed. So I pressed my sexual organ between my two feet. Alright, so this is basically these mountains telling stories. <laughs> At least that's how I'm trying to think of it. But Shiva, having noticed what happened, was overcome by fury and wanted to kill Brahma. The other gods, however, so covered him with praise that he became calm. <laughs> Brahma's seed, as a consequence of repeated pressure, spilled out in sparkling jets. Many sages were born from this seed and are called Valaki, Valakilya. 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 Okay, anyways. They were banished to the mountain of, of perfumes. Gandha Madana. Gandha Madana. Huh. Interesting. They were banished to the mountain of perfumes, Gandha Madana, and became followers of Shiva. The couple were then led to the bridal chamber. The women of the city of the snows performed the rite of good omen. They came, then came the goddess to bestow favors. Together with his wife, Shiva chewed betel and camphor. The notion of the god whose sperm gives birth to living beings is also found in the Greek world. Eric, Eric. Thonios was born from the seed of Hephaestus, which dropped on the ground when the god was pursuing Athena. Zeus, too, let flow his seed on seeing Persephone. He had not known a passion so violent even when he fell enamored of the Cyprian-born goddess, on which occasion, due to the impossible desire to possess her, he spurted his seed onto the ground, shooting out the burning foam of his love, which gushed forth spontane spontaneously. It was thence in horned Cyprus, their foster mother, that the double-bodied race sprang the horned centaurs. Huh. Let me see, where are we? We are at... 55 hmm <laughs> I mean all this shit is just so fascinating man but 
I will end that one there. Maybe I will continue the next one in the next chapter. Alright, peace.